Welcome to We Sing the Bass Electric, a podcast for bass lovers and music enthusiasts of all genres. Join us as we revisit some of the most iconic recordings from different bassists, past and present, discussing behind-the-scene insight and stories that made up some of the most revered albums of our time, all from a bass player's point of view. Now here's your host, international recording artist, Mr. Christian Day Masonis, a.k.a. Big New York. Hello, everybody. How are you today? This is Christian Damasonis, host of We Sing the Bass Electric. I wanted to uh, let everyone know that this is going to be the final episode of season one. We're ending it on a high note with the legendary Rudy Sarzo. And I want to thank everyone who has subscribed to the YouTube channel, who has definitely um, helped me try to achieve this goal this year. We are coming back next year, um, bigger and better. I'll have more of a diversity of artists and um, we'll not only do hard rock, but we'll start doing R&B, funk and jazz artists. Um, so uh, I'm just hoping that you guys hang in with me. We're also going to make sure that our, our audio is better. Anyway, next season, we'll have a bunch of great new artists coming your way. I think you'll be very excited and pleased to see who's going to be on board. Uh, I've had so much fun reliving and revisiting some of my early bass heroes, especially growing up in Brooklyn in the 70s and listening to hard rock and heavy metal. It's been a blast speaking to some of these great guys. So, um, so hang in there with me. We'll post our very first episode one, season two, in February. Okay. Thank you so much for all your support. It's been a really, really great year for me personally and uh, musically. Okay. Thanks. So here we go with Rudy Sarzo. I do want to tell you that I'm excited to be here with you because you and I do have history. I mean, uh, I will never forget the moment uh, when I was right in the front of the stage at Lemoore's, uh, when, when, you, oh, Lemoore's yeah. when you blew the power out, man, on uh, Love's a Bitch. And yeah. and that was one of my favorite songs, and I was so bummed out that the power went out, man. <laughs> but I don't know if you remember that. That was 83, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those were the days. See, what happened was when we did Lamours, we were on tour. I think it would have opening up. Uh, what what month was that? Do you have any recollection? I think it's more. It was March. I think it was March. Of it was March. Okay, if it was March, probably opening up for ZZ Top. We, but anyways, we were just doing. Uh, um, we would play clubs in the days off of the arena headliner. Let's say we were touring, opening up for ZZ Top, and they would have a day off. We booked that day, and we played. Oh. So, 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 so. What I'm saying is that we had our complete uh, uh, arena backline with us. Yeah, and and which, which in a club situation, it's not very uh, practical, but it makes for a good good look on stage, yeah, absolutely. in in a club having that full stage. You know, nowadays I just use one one SVT cab yeah. with one head. You know, an A10, yeah. and that's all I need. Back yeah. in the day, everything that was on stage was plugged in. 
Now I have a question yeah. for you um, yeah. about about that moment. I don't remember this. Did you actually bring an eight string bass with you on tour on, yeah. on that? You did. That's ex okay. That's exactly what what I was playing on that song. An eight string Washburn bass. Yeah. Washburn. Um, so, do you have any idea how the uh, the fuse blew? What happened with the the power? Did anybody ever? Oh, explain probably. To you, you know. Uh, at the time, I was using like three Crown DC 300s and Carlos had a bunch of Marshall heads, I'm pretty sure. And then you have to pump up the uh, the monitor system to match that, you know, yeah. uh, in the back line. So I'm pretty sure that we just blew a, a fuses according to that we were overpowering the system. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great moment. I'll never forget it, my friend. I'll never forget <laughs> it. Uh, thank you, Rudy, for joining us at we sing the bass electric. So here's your first question. Who was some of your early musical influences and was the electric bass your first instrument of choice? Uh, early influences, you know, you, you when you mentioned the name of the show, we sing the, 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 uh, the bass electric, uh, what came immediately to mind was Weather Report, which pre-Jacko, they had an album with that, mm -hmm. I sing the body electric, which I yeah. think is, a, Kurt Bogganot book, one of those yes. 60s, uh, you know, uh, writers. And, uh, uh, you know, those titles really fell on my deaf ears back then mm -hmm. without the understanding of, you know, I mean, I, I'm studying quantum physics and now I get, you know, about frequencies and waves, which is what we are made out of, you know. But back yeah. then, that was just a title of a sci-fi, you know, book for me, you know. Yeah. And uh, so being said that, Weather Report, especially Jackal, I grew up in Miami, and Jackal was like the local hero, which was two things. It was very inspiring and very scary. Mm. It goes inspiring because here I am watching Jackal play around the clubs in Miami, and full of, you know, North Miami Beach, which is what the big hub, even though he was teaching at the University of Miami, so he would play in the afternoons. They have like these, uh, uh, you know, campus, a uh, little cafes and restaurants, you know, like sub shops that they would mm. sell subs for the students, you know. A sandwich, yeah. sandwich shops, right? Yeah. And then the uh, Jackal will play with the Ira Sullivan band, which was a jazz band. Ira played reeds, uh, and they would be like, you know, like like a combo, very small group, you know. And so I'll go and grab a sandwich and watch Jackal play, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But see, but I thought there were there, I, you know, it made it was logical for me to think, well. There's got about there's got to be about a thousand jackals out there that I never heard of. So this is like what the measuring stick was to if you really want to get into the music industry, that's how good you have to be. And to be honest with you, I didn't have the resources that I have now for learning, learning. I mean, I you know, I mean, if you really want to get an education in music without you know at home on Zoom, there's plenty of those around. Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, yeah. you can go on YouTube and there's like a whole course, a whole semester of music theory given by a professor. He just sets up a camera, then he puts it up in YouTube for whoever wants to learn, you know? Yeah. And I recommend that you follow the actual course. Don't jump around, you know, and yeah. don't miss look, the details, the links. It's, it's like a chain. 
You got the you got the links. You have to have all the links together to make that whole chain. You just don't have if you if you're missing links, you make you don't have a chain anymore. You know. And and, so, and then again, there's all, there's always Rick Beato. I just wanted to mention that mention that Rick Beato, uh, everything music, and he's been an incredible source of uh, of inspiration and of actual uh, uh, education for me. Now. Oh, I just want to cap the, uh, the, this, this question by saying that I recommend everybody to learn as much as you can until you reach the point that you're beginning to become enlightened. Enlightened. And that to me is where I'm entering that phase that I've learned so much. I have so much information that I can actually have small triggers as I'm playing that would take me on a certain that I would get to teach myself because I discover a self-discovery of music, music theory, how things work in music, you know, and okay. that's the point that I'm at right now. But to get there, it's taken me years and years and years of actually absorbing information. So the bass was your first instrument or was the no. guitar your first in instrument? No, my, my first instrument was the maracas. The maracas, okay. When I was a All baby, right. being, in Cu okay. being Cuban, when you're born, they throw percussion instruments in, in your cradle and just leave you alone and you figure it out. Yeah. And, and you know, it's a percussion, it's, it's at the heart of, of, my, of my culture. And I, I grew, when, when I was a, very, very young child, I would say about maybe five years old. Uh, I was living in Havana, and this is in the 50s, so I would say 1955. My birthday is tomorrow. Uh, oh, happy birthday, yeah, man. Born, happy uh, thank birthday. You. Oh, thank you. I was born in 1950. <laughs> and, uh, and the, you know, we're talking about 1950s cars made out of everything was made out of some kind of a uh, material, iron, steel, chrome, whatever. And there was no plastic on the cars, you know? So the kids in the neighborhood, you know, you know, their, the social network was gathering around a car and, and with like pennies or quarters, just start playing rhythms on each part of the car, on, on, on the hood, on the bumpers, the, the hubcaps, uh -huh. you know, everywhere the fan, each, part of the car had a different sound to that, you know? So before you knew it, you had like 10 kids doing that. That's how they communicated, you know? And that's how I would go to sleep at night, every night, just just, just with that sound. Plus my, my mom and dad would always take my brother and me to events. I, we never had a babysitter and they loved to uh, listen to music. So they would take us in Havana to anywhere, you know, to, uh, to see um, the local bands like, uh, Benny More, Orquesta Aragón, uh, Celia Cruz, Rolando La Serie, you know, so, you know, I grew up with that music. So percussion, even though I am not a percussionist and I really um, respect and love great percussionists that, that, that I play with, uh, I do tend to play in a percussive matter, rhythm section, you know, and um, it's funny because it wasn't until later on in my rock and roll career that I realized that I was playing, that I wasn't playing metronomic. I was just playing with the tumbao, you know, in between, adding the grease. 
you know, okay. with, by the time that I was playing with Ozzy, the prior to that, 10 years, 10 years before when thumping came in, you know, everybody had to play like that. And then disco came in. I was still in Florida at the time. So, you know, that was part of my tool. So when it came time to play with songs like, uh, well, it, it's kind of... Uh, um, suicide, play, uh, solution. suicide Solution. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, okay. I would just play, play, play with my thumb, you know, because I needed that, that attack. Yeah. The finger, finger wasn't going to give it to me. I had to like thump it just to get that cut right through all the marshals that Randy was using and Tommy playing so loud and all of that. Yeah. Uh, what's your practice routine like today? I mean, do you practice sight reading scales? Mm, uh, any no. of that stuff? Do you concentrate on speed and, no. or articulation? What do you do? Well, right now I'm just exploring. I'm looking at the relationship of all the notes. I'm looking into uh, frequential gravity within music, which uh, the power of the tritone, yeah. leading leading tones, uh, and and using passing chords with tritones that would it would that gives you options it just doesn't, doesn't a, a tritone is not going to lead you to just one chord with a dominant seven the yeah. the tritone could become a uh, if it's a third it could become a a minor seventh of another chord mm. and vice versa you know if it's a minor seventh it could become the the major third of another chord mm. and above the main below the major third you got the minor third so using that you know that that blues note, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. on a on a on a major on a dominant chord. Hey, everything. Uh, it's really funny, you know, because when we learn how to play, especially in rock music, you know, in the beginning, you're thinking of of patterns, right? You're thinking of like in the block, Boxes. right? Yeah. You're thinking of, of yeah. those dots, yeah. And you and you're doing that block riff, you know, those yeah. pentatonic riffs, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I get yeah. I get you, That's, man. Definitely. Yeah, Definitely. that's one thing. Pentatonics, I, I I stopped relying on them, mm. and I, and I'm and I'm using more leading tones than anything okay. else because I think that okay. that is a little bit more musical and less predictable than a pentatonic. Yeah, absolutely, now, especially now, in rock. Yeah, now superimposing pentatonics, superimposing in position that that I find really really refreshing to the ear because then you start getting into the extensions of whatever yeah. chord you're playing. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, it's like jazz music. They all deal with extensions, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're used to going from the from the root to the fifth to the octave, mm -hmm. and then sometimes the ninth or sometimes the eleventh or whatever. But, you know, we, we and rock music, we don't always get to use that. So it's, it's cool. It definitely. All right. I have another question for you. As a for hire bassist, you've had to learn material quickly. Can you share a moment in your career when you had the shortest amount of time to learn a set list and perform it yeah. live? Yeah. Do you have any, any memories? Yeah. yeah, it was very simple. Any musician that is working it started out as a hired musician. Yeah. And, and this is, here, here's the similarity. When you're hired, you're given a set list of already pre-written, pre-recorded song because let's say you're... You're either going in the studio and they give you a, a chart or a sheet and say, play this, or you go on tour and they say, these are the songs we're gonna perform, right? That's not any different when we started out playing in clubs with our buddies before we made it, just as a, as a, as a, as a dance band, a, a band that was playing at a kegger or playing at your high school auditorium. It's the same thing. 
So what happens is if, if you are like, I could say that you are old enough that you did not start out in tribute bands. You started out probably top 40, right? Yeah. Which means that it's a, when I started out with my top 40 beings, you know, when I started playing top 40 was in the sixties and you had in the top 40, you had Paul Anka, you're having my, my baby and you had deep purple smoke in the water and you play them both. <laughs> and in between you had Sly and the Family Stone, you had the Motown catalog, you had the Beatles, you play everything. So you learn, you, you walk away with a huge toolbox, tool set of techniques and, and listening to music, listen the way that the compositions of a Motown song could be very different to let's say a Deep Purple or Led Zeppelin or, or the Beatles at their, at their harmonic compositional height. You know, like, let's say, I am the walrus. That's, that song is like, what? You know, when you listen to it, it's just, it's a journey. You know, it just keeps changing, actually, keys. You know, because it's, yeah, but it's, it's, it's almost like jazz with this, like, really, really impressionistic, outside the box lyrics, you know, it's like, so you're transported. You know, when I, when I hear that song, I'm just, I'm, I'm not here anymore. I'm somewhere else trying to figure out what that means to me today when I, when I listen to that song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's another question for you. So over the past 40 years, you have been seen with many different bases. What is your base collection like these days? And do you have a personal favorite? Things that happen to be close to me where I'm sitting right here, I got like, I can handle things, you know, I can grab them yeah. because I'm working on, on a project. And even though it's a project, you know, for a friend of mine, mm -hmm. there's a certain cohesiveness. But then again, each song to me sonically sounds different because, you know, nowadays we do a lot of recording, uh, through the internet. So we send, you know, uh, files and stuff, right? So this project is pretty much made up like that. There is, you know, the guitar player is in a different country than, than the actual person who's doing the project. Me, the bass player, I'm in a different country too. So when we record, we record on our spare time, which means that, I mean, it doesn't mean that we're not taking this project seriously. It just means that we are allocating a certain time for different other projects, right? So in this one is like, okay, uh, it's the same band or same project. And they send me these files and song number one sounds completely different sonically than song number two and so on, right? So I have to like find the bass that sits that sounds correct with that, at least in my in my vision, you know, from doing this for 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 so many years, and and so so that's why I have a massive collection. For me, massive is like you know, if I'm going to make a record, I have basically twenty bases, twenty bases in the room right now that I could go to, you know, yeah. and I'll, I'll I'll say okay, I hear the song, and I say okay, I break it down to five of the twenty. Then out of those five, I start, I start tracking with them like little sections and see, oh, that sounds, no, no. And then, and so on. That's very interesting. That's, that's cool on how you approach that. 
Um, I also noticed something. Now, I don't know how long ago this started, this venture, but I did come across this base, the Rudy Sarzo uh, Sawtooth acoustic bass that has oh, yeah. a, a, yeah. a bass cleft cut out in it. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about that bass. Is that something that you designed with the company? How did that, yeah. that happen? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sat down with the company and uh, Sawtooth, which I've been working with them for almost five years now. And it's a design from from the you know from one tip to the other from the uh from the uh from the uh the guitar strap lock right here at the bottom uh. to to the top right everything designed completely and it's as a matter of fact it's an original mold when they send it over to the factory a lot of the times factories put together pieces from like all the instruments that they might be manufacturing, you know, from their mold, but this is a complete redesigned, complete brand new mold. And uh, I just wanted to create a base that felt tension-wise, like an like an electric, because a lot of us, um, you know, when we have when we do certain tours, we do the in the middle that acoustic section, you know. And I found that I mean I, I have a few other acoustic bases, but that I've purchased or, or were actually given to me by companies years ago. So, you know, so I used those as a reference and I said, well, this is what I don't like about these and this is what I like about these. And we basically came, came up with that, with the fact that we wanted a, a bass that felt like an electric bass. So when you are playing electric for about half the set, you don't have to spend half the song trying to get your articulation to match what you had for the for the first half of the show with a with a bass that feels completely different you know yeah. it should feel like it's, it's still it's still a bass it's still an electric bass it's not a stand-up so we wanted to bring it as close as that as possible and we did we we really nailed that and we have the fishman pickup that you get a really great tone you're not gonna again sonically there's not gonna be a drop in your in your tonality going from electric to acoustic just plug it in and and we wanted to get rid of the uh, of the of the uh, uh the the sound hole in the middle because a lot that's a big issue when you're playing live you might have a monitor facing you you know and that's it's going to create feedback so we wanted to like make a different aperture on the body so that we came up with the f hole and if since it's going to be electric it really doesn't i mean it projects a lot forward but we we put the the sound hole on top, so it actually acts acts like a monitor, so you can actually hear it as you're playing it. Yeah, it's very interesting, man. I'm I'm probably gonna pick one up. I mean, I think it's reasonably priced, also, man. So it's inviting. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. And you know, you should really uh, be ecstatic about the fact that you've had so many companies produce Rudy Sarzo signature uh, bases. I mean, mm -hmm. your, your PV base was awesome, the Rudy Sarzo yeah. PV. And, um, yeah. and also, you're still working with Spectre, correct? So you still have? Yes, I am. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. They're, they're building me a, uh, a, a Coda. I, I love their codas, you know, even though I also play the, uh, the, the NS shape, you know, the Euros basis. And, uh, and they're building me one passive. Mm. I don't okay. think they've ever built a passive base before. Wow. And it, with, the, uh, with the PJ configuration. 
which okay. is what I really need because you know I'm I'm back with my old band Quiet Riot, which I've been a member of on and off since 1978. Sonically, there's a certain fundamental st structure. It, we did a rehearsal, the first rehearsal. I brought a bunch of bases, all of them active, didn't work, didn't work. It might have worked for. See, since I've been doing this, uh, playing with Quiet Riot on and off since 1978. I have old ears. I know how it should sound, mm -hmm. right? There's a certain yeah. sound to that, that the songs, the rec recordings, everything was built around that. And, and, and the active basses just had too much in your face sound. And there's certain melodicism that dates back to the 70s style of playing. You know, if you listen to 70s records, the bass was sound, sounded different. But so did the guitars sound different in those recordings. The drums sounded different. Once we entered the 80s, <laughs> we, uh, we bass players, we suffered. We really <laughs> did. We, we, we were not allowed to be melodic. Uh, just keep it. Basically, the, uh, the blueprint was uh, ACDC, yeah. which is nothing wrong with that. If you're ACDC, just don't try to make every other band sound like that, you know? Yeah, one of my uh, fun bass lines that that I enjoy, um, very simple. All it is is quarter notes. Is um, or um, the zoo by the Scorpions, where mm -hmm. where oh, yeah. Francis is yeah. he's going boom 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 yeah. boom boom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I gotta tell you, there was a reason for bands to gravitate towards that style. In the 70s, rarely did rock bands, I mean, the average rock band, uh, headline an arena. There were pretty much theaters. That's as big as you guys. As a matter of fact, when I went out on tour with Ozzy in 1981 uh, for the Blizzard of Us tour, it was mainly theaters, theaters. Immediately, you know, by the next tour, which happened the same year, within months, we were headlining arenas every everything changed you see especially arenas in the 80s were sports um you know event centers and they were not designed acoustically for for rock bands so the bands that were actually the most successful ones were the ones that were actually played like acdc or the scorpions like you were talking about or motley crew def leppard choir riot you know it was designed sonically and if you listen to a record, all those records, what they try to do is emulate that reverb that we had in the arena. Once you add reverb, you lose, you lose the punch of the bass guitar. That's what I like the first thing to go, you know? And um, so that's why we started putting in preamps in there just to like compensate for that, get some aggressions, get some cut. Well, it's, it's like, to me, towards the eighties, the bass stopped sounding like a bass. Plus, plus we had to deal with the, the, the subsonic competition of the synthesized basses. Yeah. So, okay, let's say Choir Riot, you know, we had singles, we, we got airplay, right? And by the way, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a founding member of the Metal Health version of Choir Riot and the second basses in the Randy Rose version of Choir Riot. And by that, I'm meaning that that's the band that I was not hot, hired gun in. And I'm back in the band and I'm still not a hired gun in the band. 
So it's, but yes, I play with many bands that I've been a higher gun with, you know, and there's different dynamics and different things. So, you know, so my references are based on both. And uh, so the, uh, the instruments, this is what happened to going back to the subsonics of the, of the synthesized bass and what be, we bass players had to match. Because what happens is if you were like a band, like I mentioned, Quiet Riot, we had singles which meant that we had the, the radio programmer had to put our song next to it, Thompson Twins, or, or any of those <laughs> or Michael bands. Jackson. Or Michael Jackson, right? Michael Jackson, yeah. with yes. the bass synthesizer. And what happens is you have to create a, a playlist that there's a flow to it. So, so whoever's listening, and it's all about advertising. The reason why they want to keep you listening to the station is so you can hear the ads. That, that's how they make the money. They, they lose money when they play music because they have to play, pay a sync rights, you know, for publishing and so on. <laughs> so so they would they if if your music does not fit the playlist, you're, they're going to put you at night, late at night when nobody is really, you know, the ads, the advertising revenues are so slow that they'll play whatever they don't care, you know, and they'll save the top 40 for the drive time. And, you know, when you get the most people tuning in, you know. So if we were compete sonically to match the the bands that were on the top 10, that's where you really want to, that's where you get the most spins, right? The top 10. You have to like the the actually the not only the producer but the artist relation and the promo man will come to your recordings to make sure that the record sounds current. Current meaning uh, you know, sounds like a top 10 hit, whatever you're recording, because they can be placed in that slot right there. So they don't have a tough time with the uh, the station manager at the time that would dictate, mm, I can't I can't add this song to the playlist. And once he says that, the pocket opens up and money starts coming out to make sure that, that song does get added to the playlist. Uh, that's the way it was. I got you. Now, it's interesting you're talking about Quiet Riot because I do have a, a question about uh, Quiet Riot in a moment. I'm going to ask you this next question, though, and then we've got uh, one last question, I believe, after this. Um, so here goes. You've played with some of the greatest guitarists and drummers in hard rock history. If you could put together your dream band, who would be in it? Is there anyone on your bucket list that you haven't yet had the opportunity to play with yeah yeah i i, I don't believe in dream bands uh -huh. because i could have never dreamed playing with randy and tommy yeah that would have never the my imagination is you know that's it i, I would have never dreamt that uh yeah. you know and of course ozzy you know uh, I would have never really dreamt about the success that Choir Riot had. It was like beyond my imagination. I would have never dreamt playing with Whitesnake, that configuration of the band, which was phenomenal. Yeah. You know, not only with Tommy again, but also, you know, Vivian Campbell, uh, Steve Vai, Adrian Vandenberg, or David Coverdale, and, and playing with uh, Ronnie James Deal, the best. The, the best. best, the best. The best yeah. of the best. Yeah. So if, I, if if I if I dream, it will be probably below that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you you've hit 
um, the upper echelon of these uh, great artists but in rock music. But I asked you that question to see if I can um, peek, peek at you with uh, maybe some jazz. Like, for instance, you brought up Jocko, and I was yeah. very, very interested that you mm -hmm. knew who Jocko was, that you were there in his early days. I mean, so I thought maybe you might blow my mind and mention a couple of fusion or jazz artists that might have been on your bucket list. But that's cool. I get you. I understand what you're saying. You did. You you're I mean, Randy Rose, man. I mean, how much how much can you get over Randy Rhodes? I mean, that's yeah. uh, incredible, yeah. you know, um, yeah. The bass community knows your work with Ozzy, Whitesnake, and a handful of others, but you will always be remembered and endeared as the face of metal health when quiet riot ruled a heavy metal world. So how is it today returning to play with the band, especially without the late, great Frankie Benali? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a specific purpose that no matter how anybody opinion about it i mean my the opinion from others about what i do is none of my business to be honest with you you know and i don't take anything personally i just know that when at a very early age i set out to accomplish what i have accomplished and beyond trust me it's stuff that i never even dreamt, dreamt of like we were talking about I did not need anybody else's validation. None of us do. If, if we have to depend on, on other people's validation of what we must do from the heart, we never leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, forget about it. You know, you know, it's still, I, I've, again, I respect other people's thoughts and opinions. But that's not what drives me. What drives me is the pure, just the pure faith and belief that there are certain things that I must do for others. Frankie requested that I return to Quiet Riot. I've, next, uh, next year is going to be 50 years that I met and started playing with Frankie Benelli. I, I have been playing with him 10 years on and off prior to us recording the metal health record you know and it gives me joy and is an honor to be able to celebrate his memory his music his legacy along with kevin's and randy rhodes members of choir riot that are no longer with us if that's my purpose and in addition to that i'm going to have a great time revisiting music that I recorded and playing it as who I am today as a musician, you know? So I find it not just challenging, but also very enlightening that I can bring the knowledge and of music that I have, my progression as a, mu a musician and incorporate that to the music that I've already recorded. It's kind of like, okay, you know, we're talking about jazz. That's at the core of jazz. That's the whole spirit. You know, Miles Davis, Coltrane, they never played the song exactly the same way as they recorded it. That was just, that was just like a picture. Imagine yeah. if you and I, we, we take a photo 
and, we, and now we have to go through life looking exactly with the same expression <laughs> as we had in the photo, you know, through our life because we capture that moment. Well, that's what you're doing with a recording. Not only are you capturing a moment as a performer, you're capturing an opinion. Opinion. That's why, you know, when you when you go live and people and you make a live record, people go, Oh, I like that live record even better than the studio. Well, yeah, one of the main things is that you don't have a producer, an engineer, a record company, or uh, executive over your shoulder saying, now nah, play it this way. Now you're gonna play the way that really comes from the heart. And when once it comes from the heart, people get it. You go, yeah. oh, this is the real deal. This is the way the song should have been recorded, right? Some yeah. of the greatest records, let's say Led Zeppelin one and two, whatever, you know, all those records, it's Jimmy Page. Mm. He produces, He those songs were cut live in the studio. You know, yeah, that's the band. And it resonates with the listener through space and time. Uh, I am very excited to see you perform with Quiet Riot, I'm gonna make it a point. Yeah, when you come into this area, uh, you might be playing the M3 Festival next year. I'm not sure, I don't know your, I haven't checked your calendar yet, but uh, I'm gonna make it a point because you're the founding member and the spirit of Rudy Sarzo, along with the DNA of, of Randy Rhodes, the spirit of Randy Rhodes um, and Frankie will be part of the presentation you cannot escape it you know you can't escape that um their their spirits will be on the oh, stage yeah. with you you can't get away with that you know uh, i'm looking yeah. forward to that so um last thing i'm gonna have a little fun with you and okay. uh, you know what just getting to know you and 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 hearing how how you express yourself and your your vision and your thoughts about music. I'm not sure if you're gonna have as much fun with this one, but I'm gonna try it anyway, okay? okay? <laughs> I, would, I would like you, in your uh, honest mm -hmm. gut opinion, mm -hmm. to rank these albums mm -hmm. from one to five, with one being your favorite, and tell mm -hmm. us a bit about why you chose this top pick. So here we go. I'm going to give them and you can tell me what you think you you love in order or maybe you don't maybe you can't even put them in order but we'll find out okay mm -hmm. first one is speak of the devil ozzy osbourne mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. second one is condition critical quiet riot mm -hmm. the third one is ozzy live disc two of the diary of a madman legacy which i didn't know to choose that one or the tribute with the Randy Rhodes mm -hmm. uh, live versions, and also um, two other ones, White Snake, Slip of the Tongue, which is a phenomenal record, and uh, last but not least, Holy Diver Live with the greatest mm -hmm. male rock vocalist of all time, Ronnie James wow. Dio. Wow. What do you think okay. of that? Uh, <laughs> we're, see, if you would have mentioned mental health, that would, that would have been number one. That would have made it very I, easy. I, I, hold, 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 Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. I wanted so much to mention it because to me, you're the face of mental health, man. But mm -hmm. I didn't know how you felt because you didn't play all over that album, right? Chuck was the one who played the bass lines on that album, right? Okay. Is that correct? Do you, have, do you have the album cover with you? No, I don't have it with me. Okay, no. well, okay. I'm gonna I want to tell you what it says on the album cover. Okay. okay. Album cover on the back, 
it says additional musicians, right? Yeah. Okay. It says Chuck Wright performed two songs, the, the track Metal Hell and Don't Want to Let You Go. One of the things that besides Chuck, because I wasn't even in the band, I hadn't even gone in the studio yet. I play on the rest of the record. Oh, okay. It's right there since day one, the proper credit of who played on what since day okay. one, since the first print of that record. How is there a confusion about something that is so clearly stated? It's not, you don't even have to buy the record. You don't even have to look inside. It's on the back cover of it. Well, hey, excuse my inequity because that, that kind of stuff I'm usually up on top of. So mm -hmm. I made a mistake and, not, and I'm not on top yeah. of it, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, if but, I remember but, correctly, it's been a long time since I, I, okay. looked, I read the liner notes, but yeah. I'll change, yes, he, I'll change condition yeah. critical. I put condition yeah. critical only because I, I know that you played on every song on condition criticals, but I'll change it to metal. Me, uh, metal actually, actually Chuck plays from born to rock and there's a story behind as to why. And we just leave leave it at that. Okay. okay. So yeah, cool. mental health. Okay. The story of mental health was that um, after Randy left the band Quiet Riot and uh, went on to play with Ozzy, Quiet Riot ceased to exist as a brand. As a band, there's no. So what what happened was Kevin started his own band called Dubrow. He named it Dubrow because the state of the music industry at the time was that. Labels were more interested in punk and new wave. So all of us rock musicians living in Los Angeles, and I can give you an example. You were talking about the guys from, from, from Motley who had a, a band called London at the time. You have Mickey Rath, you have Dokken, you have Great White under a different name. All, all of us were all struggling to survive. So we would interchange players, you know, because they, they became gigs. It was like, you know, it's everybody is in at least three different bands, three different bands, right? Just to survive, to you know, uh, because you move to to Hollywood to make a living as a musician, not as a top forty musician or or anything else. You just it was all about that. Okay, so there was a lot of sacrifices and a lot of struggling going on. Okay, so Kevin understood that and he said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna name the band after me. So there's always a constant me. I will always be in the band. The bro, no matter who is playing drums, who's playing bass, who's playing guitar, you know, and he used that period to write what was mostly the metal health record. A few exceptions, but the bulk of it was there. Okay, and and the and the direction of the sound that 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 was transforming from what Quiet Riot was uh, in the seventies which was more of that glam rock, glam metal, more to what became the 80s style of playing, which was again, influenced by ACDC. I, had, I was touring with Def Leppard. I knew that, that they were gonna be big. I didn't realize how big they were gonna be because at that time that I was touring with them in 1981, MTV was not the staple that it became. And that, that changed everything for everybody, you know? Uh, so, so Kevin had this band, Dubrow, and I, I was a member of Dubrow for about six to eight months before I joined Ozzy. I moved in with Kevin. I was living with him. And 
up until I got the call to join the band. And then immediately that day, I moved in with Ozzy and Sharon up in the, uh, in their family estate up in the Hollywood Hills. And uh, so there was this, this period where Kevin would go in the studio and make demos and so on. Now, while I was playing with him, he wrote a song called Thunderbird for Randy. When Randy left the band to join Ozzy. Once, but then, then I joined Ozzy and Kevin, you know, I, 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 I came up with the Thunderbird bass line recorder, you know, that later on I recorded that for, for the record. So I joined Ozzy, we're going on tour, Randy passes away and I lost my, uh, I lost my family. You know, if you look at, at the, that version of the band, there's Ozzy in the middle with two guys from Quiet Riot, <laughs> you know, and, and that was my my connection to to what I was doing in that band. Randy, you know, we, we he mentored me how to be a member of Ozzy because he had already been through that about a year and a half before before I joined the band. So he understood. He explained he, he made it possible for me not to just like go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> with all the unusual stuff that was going around you know i mean wonderful people i have wonderful memories of, of, of those years but uh but it was i was very green i went from being a a a bass player on the sunset strip never been on the on tour on a major tour with a recording international act to doing that with ozzy you know so so i uh randy passes away and and I get a call in one, in one of my breaks from the tour with Ozzy to uh, by Kevin. He says, "Hey man, you know I'm working on a on some uh, on, on a possible record here and to be released as a, you know a later date. And how would you like to come down and and play on Thunderbird?" So I brought my Roland bass synthesizer, which was my practice bass. All my gear was on the road with Ozzy. Mm. Right. And I walk in the studio and here's Frankie Benelli, who 10 years before, almost to the day, that's when we met. And I have been playing with him on and off, you know, family, his family, yeah. you know, collective consciousness. You know, these are the people that you put your bands together with. You know, you feel the same thing about music completely. You listen to the same thing. You might turn your, each other on to different things, but they're it's connected, yeah. you know. Like if you listen to uh, to ja uh, to Weather Report, oh yeah, there's a, there's a Return to Forever, <laughs> you know. Oh wow, check this out. You know, you know that that's that uh, those very few degrees of separation musically. And and I I recorded Thunderbird, you know. I I knew it. I, I have been playing it with with Kevin. So we went in and we took did a couple of takes. We did that, and then there was like a couple of hours left on the uh, on the session. And so the producer and the guy say, I kept, you know, asked me, hey, do you remember Slick Black Cadillac? Yeah, can we go over once? So, you know, I haven't played that in you know, almost two years. So, so I, by the time I left the session, I had recorded at least four songs. Now, uh, Chuck was not around because that same day they tracked um, Come and Feel the Noise. They tracked it. And the guy that walked in to play the bass on that was Tony Cavasso, Carlos's brother. You know. Oh. Yeah. So this this is the sequence of events. Uh, the two songs, Metal Health, with which originally titled No More Booze, 
and don't want to let you go were actually snow songs that Carlos brought in from his band Snow. So oh. I didn't get to I did not get to record on those two. So to me, chronologically, it makes sense because I never really asked, you know, because it, uh, shortly, I mean, within a week after I did that session with Thunderbird originally and worked out recording four songs. Uh, shortly after that, within a week, I had left. I, I well, I actually went in to record Speak of the Devil with Ozzy, oh. Life, Life of the Ritz. So those two records I was recording simultaneously, you know, while I was still a member of Ozzy, not knowing that I was going to leave Ozzy, you know, but it, beca it became very clear that what I was looking for was to get my, you know, a sense of family back in my, in, in my, in my life uh, was there, you know, with Kevin and Frankie, even though I was leaving one of the biggest bands in the world for the complete unknown. And trust me, Quiet Riot at the time was not, you know, nobody gave us a chance that we were ever going to even sell 50,000 records. You know, so. But it was one of my favorite bands that you played in. I mean, that moment well, in the 80s, that was a great, great moment. I well, mean, you it, were it, everywhere. It's, it's, it's the only band that I've ever felt that I could really be 100% myself. Because when you're a founding member of something, you know, it's you, you build your own identity musically yeah oh absolutely absolutely i understand that yeah. and you you never feel like you're um a second fiddle or that your opinions don't matter you don't you don't come late to the party you're yeah. in, the, in the beginning of the process of the birth of the band so you're there yeah. you know yeah exactly. so i'm gonna assume now I gave you those five titles. I'm going to assume mm. that Metal Health is number one for you. And yeah, then I'm going exactly. to assume that White Snake is somewhere in the top three. I will go speak of the devil. And they, they coincide one with the other. They were recorded okay. like within weeks from each other. It was a period in my life that I was, it was a transitional period. Uh, and I got to tell you, Brad Gillis did a hell of a job. We only had five days to, re to, to rehearse that record, five days. And Ozzy rarely would show up. So these are pr pretty intricate songs, especially since I was not really familiar with the Black Sabbath uh, music. You know, I got to tell you, uh, uh, by the time that those records came out, I wasn't even buying rock records anymore because disco came in yeah. you know and uh and also growing up a, as a starving musician if i if there was a choice of a led zeppelin record or a yes record or mahavishnu orchestra record black sabbath do kind of like eh. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you, you, buy, you know, have money to buy one record a month if that yeah, you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, Ma Vishnu, Birds of Fire is a great, great Birds album. of Fire. Well, actually, uh, Inner Mountain Flame was my entry into that. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. I did. Yeah. I dug Rick Laird. Yeah. He he put out an oh, yeah. ad in in the um in the Village Voice in the seventies mm. about yeah. teaching, and I called him up, and I was going to go mm. take lessons from him, mm. but mm. I changed my mind. I started taking lessons with this guy by the name of Ken Smith. So this was nineteen seventy eight. And then I went to California in 79. I went to BIT. 
and mm-hmm. I studied in, uh, off of Hollywood Boulevard. I lived on North Sycamore and Hollywood Boulevard over there. So I remember I was close to you. We missed mm-hmm. each other, but I was close, you know? But anyway, look, I want to thank you for your time today, Rudy. Man, um, I'm blown away with your knowledge and and also how you feel and express yourself verbally about the music that you've been part of all of these years, man. And you've left quite an imprint for many of us, man. And I just want to let you know that there are many of us that really, really have a lot of love and respect for you, Rudy. Just want you to know that in case you don't know that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And and can I just parting words? You you mentioned uh, about my knowledge. Well, my knowledge is the same knowledge that is available to everybody. And and I, I just urge everybody to absorb as much knowledge as possible. Keep in mind we're we're we only got twelve notes. The same twelve notes that that are on Smoke of the Water are in Beethoven's Fifth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. It's a it's your choice. You know. <laughs> it's it's like building blocks. You choose them and yeah. what succession, yeah. right? Whatever yeah. succession, and you make magic. Yeah. You yeah, know? I mean, yeah. I, I, I love looking at the fretboard and I say, I look at it and I go, you know, every song ever written and that would be written is in here. Yeah. So you have to just find them, you know? Yeah, that's a beautiful Rick. What year is that, Rick? Oh, it's a new one. It's a new Rick. It's a new one. Looks yeah, great. Yeah, it's what, it's what happened. I, I, I told my wife, you know what? I want to get a Rick because I've had Ricks before and I'm at the point in my life that I can use one you know whenever needed for a certain project you know yes and so she goes well this time get a blue one (laughs) 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 you you have too many black ones and white ones and some birds and red ones just get a blue one this time you know and so i said okay and then so i went on a search and the only place that i could find it was a guitar center you know, which is, I usually go to Sweetwater, but Sweetwater didn't have a blue one because they they they, they don't make this finish. It's like a midnight blue anymore. Yeah, yeah, I that's a the factory. They didn't have it neither. <laughs> yeah, that's a different color than Getty's. Getty's had a yeah. Had oh a yeah, di- no, he had yeah. a darker. I think it was a darker blue, uh, or like a black or blue. Uh, if I don't yeah. Remember. It's been yeah. a while. It's been a yeah, while. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't going after anything Getty at the time. I, I do have a, a made in Mexico Getty that is just phenomenal. That one I picked up at Sweetwater. Actually, I was actually in Fort Wayne performing, and I went to the store. I was blown away by the whole facility, and I handpicked that one. Yeah. So listen, it's been a great, great time, and please think about me when you're coming to the. Uh, Washington DC area. I would love to come and visit you and, and hang out with you, you buy you a drink or buy you, you buy you dinner or something. Okay, it'll be awesome. Buy me coffee. Coffee and a muffin. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, man. It'll be a pleasure. Thank you for spending your uh, your time with me today. And uh God I'm very bless. thankful. God bless you, brother. Take care. God bless you too, Christian. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoy this educational music program please subscribe to We Sing the Bass Electric on your favorite podcast platform. We would love your feedback. Email us at wesingthebasselectric at gmail.com. For bonus material and a chance to win merchandise, such as autographed CDs and more, subscribe to our YouTube channel and join our mailing list at wesingthebasselectric.com. As always, thank you for your support. 
Please buy music from these spotlighted artists. It makes a difference.